Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Sleep. Part three, I want to talk about what everyone's been waiting for, and that is how we can improve our sleep. In this episode, we're going to cover a number of different things, including behavioral changes that can improve sleep, tricks and tips to get more sleep, supplements for sleep, and even medications. So settle up, everybody. Welcome to Full Scope. All right, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes about sleep, please go back and check them out. The first episode talked about why we need to sleep and the detriments to our health and bodies that happens when we don't get adequate sleep. The second part talked about some of the physiology of sleep, how our body's sleep-wake cycle is controlled, and then the architecture of sleep and the stages that make up that architecture. Check those out. A lot of the fundamentals are in those episodes, and we build on those fundamentals in this part three. Okay, first, everyone should know that there are a lot of sleep disorders that can really affect sleep. Those things can include general insomnia, which is the most common reason people don't sleep, obstructive sleep apnea, and other airway resistance diseases. OSA is becoming extremely common as our weights continue to go up and up, and it's no surprise that in the the FAA aviation physicals I do for pilots and in the DOT physicals I do I do for commercial drivers both of them have you cue in to obstructive sleep apnea because of the danger of of OSA and not getting enough sleep and, and causing those micro sleep events and even of course Frank falling asleep at the wheel but those are really important in the occupational setting and OSA is, is increasingly common there's also central sleep apnea. And apnea is a word for when our when we don't breathe. And basically in obstructive sleep apnea, we have tissue or mechanical things in our in our airways that block air from moving through it. And in central sleep apnea, the problem is just that our brain is not telling our body to, to breathe. There's other issues like narcolepsy or impaired sleep-wake cycles where people can experience brief involuntary sleep episodes. There's movement disorders like restless leg syndrome and, and limb twitches and other things like that which can keep people up. There's somnambulism or sleepwalking that can greatly impair people's sleep and be dangerous in some instances. If you're experiencing problem sleeping, the first thing you really should do is talk to a trained provider, a medical provider that is, 
Because if you have something like sleep apnea, all the tricks in the world may not help you get where you need to be. You may need a more targeted therapy like a CPAP machine or continuous pressure air machine or a dental device that helps open up your airway or orthodontic procedures to reshape the passageways of the airway allowing for easier breathing. And so if you are having a lot of daytime sleepiness, if you're struggling with high blood pressure and you don't know why, if your partner or other people tell you you snore a lot, if you break wake up in the night short of breath, you really should think about getting what is called a sleep study done. And there's different types of these sleep studies. The gold standard uh, and what everybody did for a long time was called polysomnogram. This looks at brain waves with a EEG or electroencephalogram eye movements as well as muscle movements and vital signs. What happens is you essentially would go to a sleep lab. They would measure your temperature, respiratory rate, heart rate, oxygen saturation, how much your eyes move around uh, during sleep, your brain waves with an EEG, and they would also capture a video. And this gave a really uh, global picture of kind of what was going on and could look at things like sleep apnea or obstructive sleep apnea, central sleep apnea, movement disorders, and the like. But of course, it's kind of a bummer because one, it's really hard to sleep in these areas. Uh, you know, you're around all of these equipment and hooked up to all these things and in a, in a weird, strange bed and location and people are watching you with a video. And there's also considerable costs associated with uh, polysomnography. It is, a, it is a cool, interesting test, but a lot of people these days are moving more toward home sleep tests. And as the technology gets better, uh, it's been really exciting because you can really get people some useful tests for, for pretty affordable rates. I use a company that does home sleep tests for less than $200 a test. And basically they mail the individual a device that looks at all their different vital signs. It looks at movement during sleep. It can tell how many episodes of hypopnea or, or slow breathing they have, how many episodes of apnea they have, which can then calculate a, a hypopnea apnea index, which is kind of what we use to diagnose things like obstructive sleep apnea. It also looks at O2 saturation and measures that throughout the night and can tell if people are actually dropping below 90%, which is actually the biggest indicator of developing medical and health complications as a result of sleep apnea disorders. On top of sleep studies, there's also a number of other medical tests that can be enlightening when looking at sleep problems. Laboratories can be helpful in, in many instances. One notable example is the correlation between restless leg syndrome and low iron. And actually, when you treat people's low iron, their restless leg syndrome tends to improve and sometimes even go away entirely. So really, somebody who's having impaired sleep should, should probably go through a, a sleep study. They should probably think about going through laboratory evaluations for things like basic labs, nutrient status, 
this. Certainly they could go even a step deeper and look at, look at various hormones and other uh, laboratory parameters and toxins and things like that, which could contribute to bad sleep. But I want to spend the rest of this podcast really talking about ways to help with general insomnia. We're going to assume that none of those other bad sleep medical conditions are going on and that you are just someone with general insomnia. You can't sleep, and I want to give you tips and strategies to get better sleep. The first thing we need to think about regarding sleep is our exposure to light. And that is both from natural light, like light from the sun or light from fires, but it's also light from the lighting in our our cities, in our houses, the light that comes off of our screens and our telephones. Paying attention to your light exposure can make a big difference in sleep. And this is because light is one of the biggest drivers of our internal biological clock, our circadian rhythms. When we are exposed to light, that light literally goes into our eyes, travels through our optic nerves, or at least the signal that that light is hitting us travels through our optic nerve, hits the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which then goes or sends a signal to our pineal gland and tells it to turn off the production of melatonin, that important hormone that tells us that we're tired. And so getting light exposure from any source can actually do this. It can shut off our melatonin production and tell us to wake up. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. This can be really good during the day. And in fact, one of the best ways you one per, can improve their sleep is by getting outside early in the day for anywhere from 15 minutes to 60 minutes. Literally just getting yourself outside first thing in the morning sets your clock. It tells your body it is daytime. And doing that has been shown to really help people sleep at night. So during the day, try and get lots of good light exposure. Get outside, especially in the morning. But in general, the more time you can spend outside during the day, the better. You will sleep better at night if you get ample time outside during the day. Now, at night, just the opposite is true. You want to avoid heavy amounts of light as you get close to bedtime. If you're living in an area where it's light very late out at night, you might want to consider wearing sunglasses and and using things like blackout shades to stop that light from entering your sleep environment. Some people even will wear glasses, and in particular blue light blocking gas glasses, because blue light tends to be very activating compared to some of the other other colors in the visual light spectrum. And so wearing glasses and sunglasses and blue light glasses and blocking out light with, with blackout shades and stuff like that can really help us at the end of the day as we're nearing that sleep time. 
In the house, you're going to want to dim your lights as you get close to sleep time, say within two or three hours. And you're also going to want to turn those screens off. Turn off your computer. God forbid, turn off the television and stop looking at your phone. All of those things are sending light into our eyes and telling us to stay awake and activating us. So turn those machines and dim those lights as you get close to nighttime and that will really help. One thing that can be really helpful for people that do have to use their phones and their computers later at night is to switch their screens into a night mode. And you can set this on your computer, you can set this on your phone, usually it's called night shift, and you can basically set a time. So I would set that time for a couple hours before bedtime to maybe an hour or so after you normally wake up to night mode. That's going to make the light from that screen less blue. And what you can also do is turn that light, turn the setting to as warm as possible. So make the light more red and less blue, and that'll be less activating to you if you have to look at that screen at night. Light and the importance of light cannot be understated in controlling our sleep, and we all need to pay attention to it because the world is just so full of light pollution these days. We literally blaze our, our, our faces in the night with computer screens and televisions, and it's not helping us. So, so pay attention to that. Get light during the day. Get outside during the day, and then dim the lights at night and avoid those screens and other light sources at night as you near bedtime. The next way to really improve sleep is just to improve your health in general. Sleep is actually something that healthy people do. And the more chronic diseases a person has, the more likely it is for them to have impaired sleep or difficulty sleeping. What scientists have actually found is that when someone exercises for one day, it doesn't actually improve their sleep that night. But if someone exercises every day, or at, least, or at least regularly, over the course of months, that can improve sleep tremendously. So getting physical exercise regularly is really important for getting good sleep. Most people encourage exercise earlier in the day or in the early afternoon if sleep is a problem for you because exercise is very activating. It raises our body temperature and sometimes when people do it close to bedtime, it, it can actually make it harder to fall asleep. And so most people will say try and avoid exercising, especially after dinner if you have any problem sleeping. But getting regular exercise can be absolutely huge. The next part of the equation is healthy eating. Eating balanced meals that can that contain balanced amounts of macronutrients like carbohydrates, proteins and fats is really important. When we just eat carbohydrate junk food crap from bags and boxes, that will really spike our blood sugar and spike our insulin. This can lead to somewhat of a blood sugar roller coaster throughout the day. And that roller coaster can stimulate hormones in, in a negative way. For instance, when blood sugar drops, it can really increase levels of cortisol, uh, the stress hormone, and also other catecholamines like epinephrine and norepinephrine, and that can be very activating for us. And actually, if you are a person who tends to wake up 
in the middle of the night, just starving sometimes, that can be a sign that your blood sugar is off and dysregulated. And you should probably look to your diet to try and help with that. Another thing with food is to to try and avoid eating for for two, three, sometimes even four hours before bed. If we eat a big meal and then pass out, again, oftentimes our blood sugars will spike and then they'll they'll end up falling later in the night and that can wake us up and make it hard to go back to sleep. So really trying to eat balanced meals, trying to keep blood sugars under control with healthy whole foods and balance and movement throughout the day can be really helpful for improving sleep. The next healthy lifestyle tip for improved sleep is just avoiding stress. I think a lot of us in the world today really tend to build stress around things that shouldn't be there in the first place. And trying to realize that life is short and being stressed out about the little things all the time, what people think about us, the little things we said to people during the day, are just not so good for us. Try and relax, and especially toward the end of the day as you get ready for sleep, try to wind down and avoid stressors. Things like meditation, pleasant conversations, reading, writing, light exercise like stretching are great activities to do prior to sleep. Taking a warm bath is a great way to get yourself ready for sleep and get you relaxed. The last thing you want to do is be on social media and getting all dopamined up and all revved up prior to going to sleep. That That is really a bad thing to do and and I think a lot of the reason why so many of us have trouble sleeping is is we just do so many stressful activities before sleep we don't wind down and then we're surprised that we can't just lay down and pass out the next thing to think about with sleep is temperature when we go to sleep our body temperatures will drop and for most people it is easier to fall asleep in a colder area so turning those temperatures down can be can be a helpful way to get sleep. It's it's not essential of course and and for some people this can be hard if you're living in a really hot area and you just don't have the AC power, the air conditioning power to get your temperature lower. But if you can get keep those temperatures low in the bedroom and at bedtime, that can often be very helpful. There are various bed mats. There's even smart mattresses that that can control temperature. People are even making mattresses and things that link up to smart devices that that monitor our temperature and our sleep and can even adjust the temperature to to kind of a personalized ideal temperature to keep you in the most the most efficient sleep as possible. So there's a lot of crazy devices around temperature, but that's really something to pay attention to with regard to sleep. The next thing that I want to mention is electromagnetic frequencies or EMF. A lot of people will say that these this is all hype and, and all this stuff isn't true. And and I I would disagree. I think that there are people who are very sensitive to certain electromagnetic frequencies. And if you are one of those people, you know, don't let people call you crazy. Just remove things from your sleep area that cause EMF and you might find that you sleep better. Oftentimes things like phones and computers and other things connected to Wi-Fi close by the bed can be one just activating because we look at those devices and we think about work or we think about things we have to do and so getting them out of the bedroom can be helpful 
anyway. Now, I never get the luxury to do that because I pretty much always need to be on call. But someday I'm going to remove all those things from the bedroom when I sleep. But also, you know, th you do remove some electromagnetic frequencies when you take those Wi-Fi things out of your room. And, and many people will even turn their Wi-Fi off in their house altogether. Smart meters let off a lot of electromagnetic frequencies, and those can be really, really irritating to some people. So removing smart panels can sometimes be a great way to, to reduce the amount of EMF in your environment. People go totally crazy with this EMF stuff. Some people will rewire their whole house, move electrical panels. And and for some people, this stuff barely bothers them. But but for others, it can be a big deal. And so if if you do if you do think that that electromagnetic frequencies may be affecting your sleep and your life, you certainly can bring in uh, people to test the amount of EMF in your environment. And if it turns out that you do have a very high amount around your bed area, you may want to adjust some things and see if that, see if that can help. Boo! All right, I want to talk a little bit about drugs, caffeine, toxins, and sleep. And by drugs, I really mean alcohol or ethanol. Ethanol really does impair our ability to sleep. Nightcaps turn out not to be helpful. They definitely do sedate us. So you are in a, quote, sleep-like state when you are intoxicated with alcohol. But it's not the restful sleep that you want. It's not the deep sleep that provides the healing and regeneration needed while we sleep. And so be really careful with your alcohol. I know the advent of a lot of smart devices has really helped people realize that, man, when I drink alcohol, my sleep architecture is greatly disturbed and not in a good way. So be very careful about alcohol and sleep. Even just a few drinks can really impair it in a negative way. The next thing that I want to mention is caffeine, and we talked a little bit about caffeine, but it's an adenosine analog. It's a very similar molecule to adenosine, and it actually binds to the adenosine receptor in the brain, preventing adenosine from binding and telling us, I'm sleepy. One of the issues with caffeine is that it actually has a very long half-life usually uh, quoted around seven hours. And, and there's differences among individuals. Some people will metabolize caffeine faster than others. But for for the majority of people, it takes about 14 hours for 75% of the caffeine to get out of your system. So I think it's really important to avoid caffeine later in the day. I'm definitely a coffee lover, and coffee has a number of health benefits, and so I'm not saying don't drink it. I'm just saying maybe about eight to 10 hours before bed, stop drinking coffee that could probably tremendously help with your sleep. The next group of toxins are just the environmental toxins that are all around us from the materials and things that we use in our everyday lives. For instance, that new car smell that you smell and like and say, oh, new car, that's actually formaldehyde. And formaldehyde is, is a very harmful chemical. And so it's not just new cars that sometimes off-gas uh, volatile organic chemical chemicals, things like new carpets, even new mattresses can can off gas some of those chemicals. And so paying attention to chemical exposures in the environment from things like new furniture, new clothing, new carpets, things like insecticides used in the household, things like junk food and food that's of poor quality, 
nonstick cookware can actually give off perfluorinated chemicals that can be harmful to us. It's actually quite terrifying with all the different chemicals in our environment. I think I've mentioned that even newborn babies have over 200, and in one study, 240 man-made chemicals in their umbilical cord samples. So we're being exposed to these things even before birth. There's probably a cocktail effect. It's not really well parsed out as to what chemicals are, are, are the most harmful and, and, and what limits are actually safe. But I think in general, we're being exposed to way too many chemicals. They can certainly have an effect on our sleep. And one thing that you can do if you can't get away from, say, that new carpet in the apartment you're renting or, or, or other, other things is just open the window. Get exposure to fresh air, and, and that air from outside is going to have a much lower concentration of, of harmful chemicals than can accumulate in, in, say, the closed environment of a house. All right, the next group of toxins that I want to talk about are actually the pharmaceutical drugs that we prescribe to, for sleep in the benzodiazepine category. These are things like Xanax and Ativan. There's also newer benzodiazepine-like sleep drugs, or what we call Z-drugs, things like Zolpidem, Lunesta, and then in that class also is like barbiturates. All of these things are going to be activating the GABAergic system in our brains, which is really an inhibitory system. It turns our brains off and sedates us. These medications are going to be working very similar to alcohol. And the problem is they also have a lot of side effects. They can cause dependency. People can start to have to have them in order to sleep. When you stop taking them, they can cause severe withdrawal, which can be dangerous and even fatal at times. They can cause memory and thinking issues and have been strongly linked to problems like dementia. So these drugs are really quite frankly, looking more and more like a bad deal to me. There's several studies now linking Z-drugs to higher mortality. So people are, are that take Z-drugs are more likely to die than people that don't, and they're more likely to develop other medical problems. At this point, I think that there's enough correlation with badness in Z-drugs that really it's time for another big study actually looking at people who are insomniacs, randomizing them to get a Z-drug or not, and then looking at if, if, if basically they have a higher mortality and stuff because it's, a, it's got such bad signals around it. I can't lie, these drugs are very commonly used. Sometimes I will even use them because I have people that come in and they are so dependent on these things that they that they absolutely have to have them and they beg for them. And I don't take them away because, you know, they're, it's dangerous to just take them away and you want to build a rapport. But it's very hard to get people off of these drugs. I'm not a big fan of them and I think we need better options. And certainly we do have, have better options and I'm going to talk about those. But I actually throw those gabinergic sleep medications like benzodiazepine, Z-drugs, and barbiturates in this category because they are so they are they are generally harmful to sleep. People that take them will report better sleep, but again they're just sedated. They're not actually sleeping. They're not getting the healthy architecture and healthy sleep that that improves lives and health. They're 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 more or less just being sedated. So be careful about toxins and chemicals, you know, be careful about taking caffeine too late in the day because that can definitely keep you up. 
I am a big fan of caffeine, but you need to be careful about when you use it. Be careful about alcohol. That's not actually a sleep aid. I'm also a fan of alcohol, but uh, but it's certainly something that is is a recreational thing and has real health deficits, and, and people should know about that. You've got to be careful about environmental toxins. All these chemical companies are making all these different molecules that are that are seemingly dangerous for us and and I think that in the next 20 30 40 years uh, just a slew of them are going to be banned entirely because they're hurting us and then also the actual pharmaceutical sleep drugs which are are used in 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 the medical industry so commonly all right one thing that is always talked about in in medicine for improved sleep is sleep hygiene and this is like what I was taught in medical school and this is like the pillar of 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 sleep talk at, at least as far as the general establishment is concerned i take all these things with a grain of salt i break all these rules they're really hard to do at times but i think if you're having trouble sleeping i would meticulously go through these and try and do each one because they can certainly be helpful the first tip with sleep hygiene is to use the bed only for sleep or sex don't be hanging out in your bed throughout the day. Don't be reading there. Let it be a sanctuary where we sleep and, and make love and nothing else. Try and go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time each night and each morning. We are truly creatures of habit, and getting in a rhythm like this can be really helpful. Remove all screens from the bed for bedroom. Take your phone out, take your computer out, and certainly take that TV that's in front of your bed out. That is not helping you at all. Remove all unnecessary lights and disturbing sounds. So if you've got a bunch of electronics and things in the room with red lights and and little beepy things and things that are making sounds and noises, all that stuff needs to go. We talked a little bit in the past uh, in in the episode about improving hospitals or hospitals 2.0, but an ICU is basically this environment where there's just lights and sound pollution and noise everywhere, and nobody can sleep in there, and it's just tragic. And so, if your bedroom is is looking like an ICU, get that stuff out of there. Turn down the temperature in your room. Make it cold. We talked a lot about temperature, but people tend to sleep better in a cool room. So turn the temperature down. Avoid late-night meals, exercise, and stress-provoking activities. We talked in depth about that already, but that is so important. Avoid caffeine and nicotine in the afternoon and evening. Those two drugs are both stimulating, and, and they are not so good for trying to fall asleep. Try not to use alcohol or sleep pills to sleep. They will sedate you, you will fall asleep, but it's not the rested sleep that you want. Dim the lights at night in your house. Don't use bright lights. Get a wind-down routine and actually follow it every night. And so give yourself some time to calm down and get ready for sleep. This could be one hour or two hours, but but make a routine, make it relaxing, and, and try to stick to it. And then finally, if you are in your bed and you can't sleep, Get out of your bed and do something relaxing, like go into the living room and read. Then, when you feel tired again, go back to your bed. And that's part of using the bed only for sleep and sex. You don't want to be laying there not sleeping, thinking about how you wish you could sleep and not feeling tired. Go out, do something relaxing. When you feel sleepy again, go back and go to sleep. 
And then the final thing that I think I would say is that if you have a bad night's sleep, try not to do anything differently the next day. Don't sleep in really late. Don't try and take a big nap if that's not something you normally do. Just stay awake, go through the day, and then try to fall asleep at your normal time that night. Getting in that, that rhythm can really help. And then I guess the final word is that if you do have trouble sleeping at night, it's probably good to avoid naps during the day because they will break or off or off uh, pressure some of that sleep pressure you get from that adenosine building in your brain. And, and so don't do that. Stay up if you're having trouble sleeping at night and, and, and save that sleep pressure for bedtime at night. And those are the, the sleep hygiene things. And I probably mentioned a few more things that aren't part of classical sleep hygiene, but that's what you hear a lot from, uh, from Western medicine and things like that. All right, let's get into some more targeted therapies that can help improve a person's sleep. And the first one, and something that I've been recommending to a lot of my patients, is what is called grounding or earthing. When I first heard this, I thought it was absolutely insane, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, and so I'll try to describe it a little bit. Basically, every complicated machine that we have and use as humans needs to be grounded in order to properly function. Electrical circuits just tend to work better when they're grounded. Humans also are electrical machines. We run on electrical chemical gradients, and it turns out that when our bodies are electrically in contact with the ground, we function better. Now, historically, we were always in conduction with the ground. We wore leather-soled shoes or went barefoot, which was more conductive than the foam rubber soles that we wear today on our shoes. Our mattresses were made out of natural materials and probably historically even directly in contact with the ground. And, and as we've used more foam mattresses and th synthetic mattresses, we've essentially insulated ourselves completely from the ground. And so what I have a lot of people do is get a grounding mat or get grounding sheets. These are actually things that plug into the ground in your wall or go out the window and attach directly to a grounding rod. But by laying on a grounding mat while you sleep, you actually ground yourself. And believe it or not, there's a lot of, of small but compelling scientific studies showing that grounding improves our sleep. It improves other things too, like anxiety and inflammation and muscle recovery. And so I think a really easy low-hanging fruit is to buy a, you know, a $30 or $40 grounding mat and see if that might help your sleep a little bit. That's, that's probably first line, in my opinion, is try to utilize grounding. The next thing that I think people should consider trying are the utilization of sound and, and noise machines. Having a little bit of background noise can help a lot of people sleep. I tend to turn a fan on at night, and that tends to help. But people are also using more targeted uh, music and beats. Bineural beats are, are really popular these days. And for sleep, people will tend to use uh, slower frequency delta wave beats, which are in the 0.5 to 4 hertz range and then that actually mirrors the brain hurts during deep sleep and what people have found is that when people listen to these binaural beats in that in that frequency people tend to spend more time in deep sleep and so there are also some interesting things you can try with sound uh, i don't think the research on that is as good as grounding 
but it's pretty interesting and there's a lot more coming out about things like binaural beats and music and sound to help with sleep and even just basic background noise. The next thing that can be and should be used for anyone having insomnia is cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy uh, or, or is a type of mental health therapy that's been very well studied for insomnia and can be very helpful in getting people sleep. And so do consider hooking somebody up with a therapist that's been trained in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. That can often be really helpful. On top of those things that we've mentioned so far, there are a lot of supplements for sleep. And to be honest, none of these supplements are are just incredible. Uh, but but all of them can be helpful in certain situations, and, and some of them are actually well studied. One thing that I really like for sleep is magnesium. Magnesium is a very calming mineral. And when we take magnesium, it tends to be relaxing to us. There's a lot of different forms of magnesium, but uh, you can try different ones. I like to take magnesium citrate, 500 milligrams at bedtime. Magnesium glycinate and magnesium threonine are also po very popular for sleep. But try that. It'll help relax you. It can also help with digestion. And then on top of just taking magnesium orally, it can also uh, be good to put some Epsom salt or magnesium sulfate in the bath with you before you go to sleep. And that can be very relaxing and calming as well. Our food is a lot more deficient in magnesium than it was historically, say 50, 100 years ago. And so a lot of us tend to be a little deficient and bumping up the magnesium a little bit can be really helpful. The next supplement is melatonin, and melatonin is that hormone made by our pineal gland that helps us sleep. It, it literally uh, controls our brains in, in a way that, that tells us it's time to go to sleep. You're not being exposed to light, it is sleep time. People take a lot of different ranges of melatonin. Typically, our brains will make less than one milligram of melatonin a night, and I see doses for, for sleep anywhere from 0 0.5 to shoot, 50, 100 milligrams. Most people take 0 0.5 to 10 milligrams of melatonin. What I've found in my practice is that sometimes taking that a little earlier can be helpful. So instead of taking it one hour before bed, sometimes taking it three, four, even five hours before bed can be helpful. And another thing that I've found is that young people tend to not respond to melatonin as much as older people. Older people seem to do a lot better with melatonin, and particularly my hospital patients seem to benefit a lot from getting melatonin to help them sleep. And there's been a lot of good ICU studies showing better sleep and, and better outcomes when melatonin is utilized, and that's on a lot of hospital order sets these days. The next supplement that can be very helpful with sleep is cannabidiol, or CBD. This is a really popular supplement these days for a number of different things. But sleep is one of its best benefits or the things that it's most efficacious for. Typically, I'll tell people to start with like 10 milligrams an hour or so or even just right before bedtime. But some people can take a lot more than that, even up to 50 or, or even 100 milligrams depending. Cannabidiol is nice because it's not psychoactive. It does not cause the same mind-altering effects that, say, THC or tetrahydrocannabinol does. And so it's really nice for those people who don't want any of those effects, and it tends not to, uh, to make people too groggy in the morning. So CBD can be something that's good to try, too. 
I would say those first three supplements are the most common things I will reach for for sleep. Those being magnesium, melatonin, and CBD. I think they, they tend to help people in, in a lot of instances, and they tend to have, have low, if any, side effects. Sometimes people are a little more groggy in the morning, but generally very well tolerated. So those are kind of my first three go-to supplements. I probably should have mentioned tetrahydrocannabinol up when I talked about the toxins and other things. THC certainly, and this is the active psycho, or the active psychoactive ingredient (laughs) in cannabis. And it's very commonly used for recreation. People also use it for a number of medicinal purposes. THC definitely helps people fall asleep. In fact, it's probably a lot more efficacious for helping people fall and stay asleep than CBD actually is. But the problem is that THC seems to impair some parts of sleep architecture, and in particular REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. People who who, who are on cannabis and taking a lot of THC tend to have impaired REM sleep. And people who wear wear wearables that track this stuff, like say the Aura Ring or other other monitors, can actually see this when they use cannabis. And so I, I encourage my cannabis and THC users to be very careful about relying on THC to sleep because they actually can lead to to impaired sleep. And, and and that's part of the reason why people tend to feel groggy the next day after after using THC. It's not so much like that full hangover, but it's just a little bit of, of brain fog that can come with it. All that being said, some people do use THC for sleep, and it's it's certainly healthier than getting uh or, or probably healthier than getting uh, very drunk on on ethanol, but should be should be very cautious about it. Another problem with THC is that it does have a withdrawal effect. People that use it every every day for a long amount of time and then stop using it will withdraw over several days to even weeks. And one of the biggest symptoms is problem sleeping. So while people can get really great sleep while they're on it, they certainly can withdraw from it. It's got a long half-life, so the withdrawal can be very long. And, and ideally, if you don't use too much of it, can be completely unnoticeable. But for those heavy users, it definitely can be be noticed by some. So be a little careful about THC uh, with sleep. It definitely helps, but, but maybe has some unforeseen consequences. Some other supplements for sleep that can be considered are 5-HTP. Remember that uh, that's part of the synthesis pathway toward melatonin. Things start with tryptophan, the amino acid, and then go to 5-HTP, which then synthesize to 5-HT, which is serotonin, which then goes on to make melatonin. So people will actually take 5-HTP, and, and some people say that that helps them sleep. People also take gabapentin, uh, or sorry, GABA, Gabapentin is a pharmacological medication, but people actually take GABA, which is the actual neurotransmitter that is um, inhibitory, and some people will, will say that that helps them fall asleep. Two amino acids that can help with sleep, or sorry, three amino acids that can help with sleep are L-threonine. This tends to be very relaxing to people and, and can help with, with falling asleep. Uh, L-tryptophan, remember that's the the starting molecule for serotonin and and then melatonin and so that can help people and then glycine which is another amino acid can help people sleep as well there's also another a number of of plant-based 
uh, or, or plant supplements that can that can be very helpful, or, or at least a lot of people say that they benefit from them. One is valerian, another is chamomile, and then another is tart cherries. There are a number of other supplements that people say help them sleep. Again, I tend to reach for magnesium, melatonin, and CBD first for anyone having sleep problems, but there's lots of things you can try. A lot of the supplements, unfortunately, have not shown great benefit when we actually study them in more formal trials. But like any any supplement or drug, there are always individuals that are outliers and for whatever reason seem to respond better to certain things than than uh, the rest of the population. And so you can certainly experiment with a number of these different things and see if they help. I would recommend doing that under the care of a provider rather than by yourself, as a lot of these supplements can have can have real uh, biological effects that can sometimes be harmful. And so they're not just totally safe and you can just throw them around and use them. So please do, do so under proper guidance, but, but there are a lot of things that can be tried in the supplement world that can help with sleep. There's a lot of mixtures of different things. A lot of a lot of people will come out with proprietary blends of things, and, and sometimes those blends, are, people will swear by by those blends and, and really enjoy them for sleep. Finally, I want to talk about medications in sleep. We already talked about the medicines that activate the GABA receptor, like the benzodiazepines, the barbiturates, and the Z drugs. And those just aren't my favorite for a number of reasons, but they certainly do make people, quote, fall asleep, though they do seem to be more sedated than than anything else. There's a number of, all, of mental health drugs that also can help with sleep. Trazodone and tricyclic antidepressants like amitriptyline have a great side effect of making people sleepy. And so if you're treating someone's depression with one of those medications, you get a nice side effect of sleepiness. In fact, for younger patients that are depressed and not sleeping, I almost always reach for amitriptyline because I know at the very least it'll help them sleep. And if they can sleep, everything will get better. Antipsychotic medications like first-generation haloperidol and second-generation ketiapine are also very sedating and can help people put to sleep, but that's probably, again, not the, the restful sleep that people want, and there's a number of side effects with those, so I, w- I would not use those for the purpose of sleep alone in the absence of psychotic or other, other indications. First-generation antihistamines can be very useful as they they make people sleepy. Diphenhydramine or Benadryl is really common. Doxepin is really common. Hydroxazine, which I often use for anxiety, can be a a really nice sleep aid too. And so so antihistamines can be a a reasonable choice as a medicine to, uh, to help people sleep. I mentioned gabapentin above. Uh, that's a medication that also works via the GABA receptor, but a little differently than other medications. That can make people tired and sleep uh, sleep as well. Romelteon is a pharmaceutical that binds to melatonin receptors in the brain, and that is uh, an FDA-approved medication for sleep and can be helpful for some individuals. Of course, if somebody has pain or anxiety, treating those underlying conditions can be very helpful for improving sleep. Uh, Things like acetaminophen or NSAID creams, lidocaine patches are are all safe ways to treat pain. And and when you do treat pain and and people feel better, they they sleep a lot, lot better. 
A really exciting class of medications for, for sleep are the orexin receptor antagonists. The hypothalamus has a number of cells in it that produce uh, these molecules called orexin A and B or hypocretin. And these are really interesting neuropeptides that are important for signaling. They control a lot of different things but are, but are important for the sleep and, and wake cycles. And so by shutting them off, we can really induce sleepiness. There's two medications currently approved in the United States, Lemborexant and Suvorexant. These are both or can be very helpful for people with sleep. And I have had a lot of patients that have liked these. The biggest problem with them right now is the cost. They they tend to cost three, four, five hundred dollars a month, and that can just be a huge burden for patients and is just a lot to ask. There's also uh, the problem of grogginess. Some people do tend to be groggy, but overall the orexins have a the or the orexin receptor antagonists have a lot less and better side effect profiles than the classic Z drugs. So those are something to think about, but because of the cost and because you're disrupting a pretty important brain system that may have other secondary effects, um, probably should be a, a last resort or at least a, a far resort down the line. I would try the lifestyle stuff, of course, long before I would ever get into any of these pharmaceuticals or even supplements for that matter. But if you are doing all the lifestyle stuff and then you try grounding and cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe you work in some music, maybe some of the low-hanging fruit supplements aren't helping you out, then maybe you jump to some of these these sleep medications or sleep drugs. And if you are jumping to those medications, orexin receptor antagonists can certainly be something to think about. They're, they're kind of the new kid on the block and, uh, and an exciting drug class. There's going to be a lot more coming down the pipeline as far as orexin receptor uh, modulators go, and that's an interesting space. So we'll see what happens there. All right, so that was kind of a doozy. Those are all my tips on sleep. I think the biggest important parts to remember is that just being healthy and living in a healthy lifestyle is going to help your sleep. If you are unhealthy, you're not going to sleep well, and that lack of sleep is going to make you progressively more unhealthy. But if you are in that cycle of wellness, you are going to sleep better and you are going to stay in that cycle of wellness. On top of just living a healthy lifestyle, exercising regularly, eating healthy whole foods with a balanced diet, forgiving other people, trying to reduce your stress, etc., paying really close attention to light can be really helpful. Trying to get a lot of good, real, natural outdoor sunlight in the mornings and throughout the day can be really helpful in setting that circadian clock. And then trying to limit that light later in the day can can just be a great way to wind down and get ready for bed. Getting in a routine for sleep and wind down and relaxation can be very helpful. There's a lot of tips wound up in that, but I'm not going to go over them again because we're getting close to 50 minutes on this episode. And I want to tell everybody, thanks for listening. Goodbye. And once again, I'm going to leave you with some baby noises. Pew! <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now, today, become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pew!